It's the cocktail hour that shakes and stirs up pharmacy. Welcome to PBN on the Rocks. I'm not wearing pajama pants. You know, like tuxedo t-shirts, you know, t-shirts that have like tuxedo printed on them, like the, the bottom equivalent. So they're like, let's go with that. Man, I normally got to pay for these streams. <laughs> oh, that's awesome. All right. Well, so Jeremy Counts, Lord Dr. Jeremy Counts. Hi, I'm Jeremy. Oh, hello. You and I have a common bond. Because we are uh, together, we serve on Pharmacists United for Truth and Transparency, PUT, to some of uh, the people who are listening to this. You serve on that board. I am the executive director. And uh, collectively, you, I, and the rest of the board, including Ms. Deborah Kevney, PUT's president. Welcome, Woo! Madam President. Thank you. Glad to have you. Uh, actually, the three of us, along with the rest of the board, often get together and have the kinds of conversations that we are going to be having tonight, which is, as I recall, your favorite conversation, my friend. <laughs> I'm excited. First thing, yeah. I'm excited that I'm with some great people. Second, I'm excited that I get to drink after a very, very long day. Uh, yeah, you and me both, brother. You and me both. Uh, and we, yeah. yeah we I love paying $2,000 for a medicine and being reimbursed $1,900 on it. <laughs> <laughs> it's awesome. That's great. Who doesn't love that? Who doesn't? Totally love that? sustainable, right? Mm-hmm. Very sustainable. Very sustainable. So, uh, so Brian Nyquist, since you just were the first one to jump in and speak up, why don't you? Uh, why don't we have you introduce yourself and also tell us what you're drinking tonight at PBM on the Rocks? Yeah, um, I am the president and CEO for the National Infusion Center Association, um, nonprofit trade association that supports the nation's community-based infusion centers. I'm drinking a smoked old fashioned. Nice. Um, I'm a big bourbon drinker and uh, the old fashioned really lets the bourbon shine with a little, little extra special, special sparkle in there. Uh, <laughs> my wife got me a little cocktail smoker for Christmas. So, Oh, you are lucky. Those are great. I've been overusing it a little bit. I'm pretty sure I've already preserved my GI tract. Um, <laughs> but uh, PBMs, we are here to talk about shenanigans. Um, probably a, a false claim of value and cost savings potential. Um, well, yeah, yeah. See where see where it goes. But Jeremy, didn't didn't the government start issuing community pharmacies money printing machines to to keep business operations going because you. To your I point, wish. <laughs> I, drug at two thousand dollars and getting reimbursed nineteen hundred. I don't know yeah. how else you could run a business on negative margins. That's yeah, right. it's pretty great. Uh, it keeps my cash flow going really well. It's like <laughs> they're like, "Oh, we'll pay you better on other scripts." Fucking liars. Yes, yeah, so on that <laughs> note, Jeremy, what are you drinking tonight, sir? Ah, <laughs> me. I have what I call the King Jeremy. <laughs> it is Jameson on the rocks, and what I do. I've been putting in a little twist here, making it kind of like an old fashioned. I put in a little bit of bitters and then I also put in a mandarin orange in it and let the mandarin orange soak it up throughout the night. And then the oranges are great later. Wow. So it gives it a little hit of orange while also giving me the old fashioned flavor. I'm a big fan. Wasn't that called PJ in college? 
I have no clue. This They're is a King Jeremy. Soaked <laughs> in the Everclear, and then they you would eat the fruit and be gone for the yes. next mm-hmm. like day and a half. Now this okay. would be a great opportunity to introduce Shannon Whiteman Gerard, <laughs> who is never on anything that we broadcast at Putt. She is in fact always behind the scenes. She's our operations manager and the editor that makes us sound smart. Because if you heard what we really sounded like when we recorded these podcasts, you would be well surprised anyway. Shannon, what are you drinking? I am drinking a peach blasphemy. Ooh, that sounds spicy. <laughs> I kind of I created it on the fly. Um, mainly because I wanted it to apply to you know like PBMs. I feel like blasphemy is a very appropriate word, <laughs> and um, I, it's a uh, peach cobbler vodka. I infused um peach vodka with uh all the spices and flavors that you would get in the peach cobbler. I did that over Christmas, and I had some left over, and then I um spiked it even more with a mango guava hard seltzer so it is now a peach blasphemy wow i like that shannon worked in the word infusion a shout out mm. kind of to brian i noticed there, right? that <laughs> extra points bonus points and i need to step he's up talking up about cocktail smoking cocktails i gotta say something <laughs> i feel like these names are escalating grant's gonna get on here and be like this one's orphan's blood <laughs> yeah well, Greg, since you jumped in and you mentioned the shout out to infusion, I think every time we hear the words infusion, value, or cost, we should take a drink. So, indeed, that said, Brian, uh, Greg, Brian, Greg, Greg, Brian, meet each other. You guys are so much alike. Greg, what are you drinking tonight? So, I've got two drinks. So, I live in Georgia, but our headquarters is in Alabama. And so, when I told Tim Monique that, that I was doing this tonight, he said, Well, then what I have to do, and of course, they have it in the office is some Alabama moonshine, but I'm not drinking it. I'm not drinking it, but it was given to me. So otherwise this oh whole God. thing would get out of hand, right? That's so, an actual actual mason jar jar. so that's actual moonshine. And that is, that is that is also mason yeah. jar, no color white light. Oh, right. This is, is real moonshine. This is oh God, Greg, don't drop it. Whatever you do. 15 yeah, minutes God's later, country. I'll prank calling PBM executives, right? Like if you start <laughs> sipping this. <laughs> Um, Can you hand it to PCMA before they testify and tell them that it's water? That's it. (laughs) What's your water, Mr. Scott? Here you go. (laughs) And the Lagavulin is in a cup, Monique and Shannon, that y'all got me, if if you may remember. I think it was either in Orlando or Austin after one of those. And so Lagavulin is scotch, and I I enjoy scotch. And I got into it. My grandmother uh, was half scotch. And and Scotch drinker. She actually she lived to be she passed away this weekend, but but she lived to be a hundred. And so I was like, if we're doing this this weekend, I I will have scotch in honor of her. So here's to grandma. Here's to grandma. grandma. Mm. You know what I love about like I think so. I think it's scotch whiskey, right? They don't have the E in the whisk in the word whiskey. Is that right? They don't have the E and accurate. that, I like that right? Greg is now picking up the bottle to check the spelling. That's right. Yeah, you're 100%. <laughs> that is correct. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. Not a scotch drinker, but good at useless trivia. Lagavulin's good too. Good. Taste it's good. Drink. Like if you know, it, it's strong, but it's smooth. Yes. And, and so it it kind of mix walks that perfect line. It's really strong, really peaty and smoky, but but some of the smoothest scotch you'll ever drink. So yeah, it's my go-to like sip and scotch. Yeah. Just perfect for a PBM conversation. So the only person we haven't really heard from is our president, Madam President. What are you drinking tonight? 
Well, I got done with an Optum RX audit today. Oh, a hundred prescriptions plus refills attached. They found one discrepancy, which thank you, Minnesota 62W means they can't claw back the money because it was a clerical error that did not result in the patient having to pay more or the payer having to pay more. So I got through about $100,000 worth of claims with a zero clawback. However, nice. I had a butt, butt to get here. So I am simply drinking beer right now. I will be indulging in something a little more Post to them later. Yeah, exactly. Here's to beer. Yay. Here's to beer. Right on. I don't have actual cocaine at the pharmacy. Oh man, that was rough. (laughs) When you started that statement, I was worried I needed to make you a peach blasphemy with a double shot and send it to Minnesota super fast. I nearly stopped and bought a bottle of Everclear because that's (laughs) 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 yes, yes, they're they are truly, truly, truly horrible. Um, and then just so that I can complete the circle. So I am drinking uh, my my drink that I always have, which is a Manhattan. I'd love to say I invented it. I didn't. It's a vintage cocktail. And I love vintage cocktails. And what I love about the Manhattan is that uh, between the the bourbon, often I have it with a rye. I have no rye here. I was just uh, before we all got together, I was just uh, proclaiming the virtues of Trader Joe's bourbon of all things. I bought it on a dare. It was $14.99 and it's actually really, really good. So I'm having that with some artisan vermouth and it, it's good. So for whatever that's worth, guys, Trader Joe's bourbon, not bad. Ah. Yeah. I yeah, had no see, idea. We, we live bourbon. in the weird South where alcohol sales don't happen until midway through Sunday and only, um, only state run places are allowed to sell liquor. Yeah. It's ridiculous. Oh, only ABC stores in Virginia, so we can't get Trader Joe's whiskey. Sadness. That is great. (laughs) When I moved to Arizona, I I totally forgot the rest of the world sells liquor in like grocery stores and in Walgreens. Um, Walgreens, In Texas, they don't let us do that. (laughs) (laughs) Texas folk uh, know how to drink a little too a little too good, I guess. It's crazy being running out of bourbon and being able to just pop down the street to your to your grocery store is it's it's still it's still crazy. But yeah. Monique, yeah. my wife, um, I got her into bourbon with a French Manhattan. Ooh, what's if that? you Ooh, ever that run out of me. vermouth and you happen to have some Chambord in your liquor cabinet. A little two to one bourbon or rye to Chambord, um, two dashes of bitters, and you got yourself a French Manhattan. Basically, I like doing those with Japanese whiskey. To the next PBM on the Rocks episode, the French Manhattan. Shannon, what you say? People can actually keep their liquor cabinets stocked. Like I, my bottles just go away. <laughs> like, I can't ever that? keep it stocked. I'm like, oh, I'll get a few of these, and it's like. <laughs> I guess I had it. Yep. Brian, I had said I like to make the French Manhattans with um with Japanese whiskey. Japanese whiskey. Nice. The Japanese were taught to make whiskey by um by the by the Scottish, so it turned up out more like Scotch, but a really it's, lightweight it's, version of Scotch. So I've clean. always found that works really well in a French Manhattan with a Chambord. Hmm. I learned something today. Yeah, me too. Me Japanese too. scotch. That's awesome. 
They right. call it whiskey. We don't want to offend. Gotcha. Japanese whiskey. <laughs> and the thing is, when you're talking about what we talk about and deal in every day, you need to have distinctions in whiskey and interesting combinations because you never know when you're going to get a, what was it, Deb? A, a $100,000 audit? Could have been $100,000 back if uh, we would have not treated claims properly. But yeah, we, we sweat for uh, quite a while getting all that documentation ready for them. Wow. And for those of you listening that are not in healthcare, by back, she means taken away from her without her consent. Not that I made any money on that anyway. Let's just yeah. out there. At what point is the, the risk benefit so outweighed by the risk? Like we're, we're dispensing all these brand, no, brand name drugs we're going to get audited on. We're not making any money on it. And the risk of being audited for it and I'll have it all of it taken back is too much. Like, there's no point in dispensing brand name anymore. If you can avoid it, you avoid it. Well, you know, to, to that point, we've, we've literally seen situations where pharmacists were negatively reimbursed at point of sale on an expensive brand name drug. And then a year and a half later, lo and behold, there's an audit and they take back the total reimbursement on top of it, right? Just like insult to injury. Um, and that's, that's not an uncommon thing. I think the good news, you know, to Deb's point is, you know, like that there's these audit protections and, you know, obviously a lot of states have passed some amazing PBM legislation. Enforcement remains an issue, right? Getting the stuff enforced is, is difficult, but it's easy in the industry to, to get frustrated with, ah, they're not, they're not abiding by it here. They're not abiding by it there. But just even something as simple as those audit laws that say, hey, you know, if, if there wasn't an overpayment and there wasn't fraud and, and there wasn't a misfill, you can't recoup for a clerical error. I mean, that, 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 that can be a real difference maker. So if you're looking for silver linings, as, as, as hard as Deb's day was, it's nice for her to know that, hey, even where they found that clerical error, they can't recoup. It may or may not have made a difference, but I did attach the law to my it, stuff that I sent in and I highlighted everything that they needed to see. <laughs> Good for you. That's what you got to do. Yeah. That yep. should be the so good for you. <laughs> now, unfortunately, you got you to gotta do their work for them. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> uh, they come in and it's, uh, we have to spend so much time and man hours just like powering through this stuff just to try to keep our own money. It's, it's insane. Like if they ever came at me for like that much money, and this is like one of my biggest fears. It's like I misread something on a contract where I'm supposed to keep up like this log that no one has heard of out of nowhere that they snuck in and it just went right by us. And then they come in and try to audit me for a bunch of money. Oh my God, I don't know what I'd do. I'd freak out. I'd probably like hole up in like a log cabin with a bunch of bottles of Jameson just screaming they'll never get me. I, I just don't know what I'd do with that. <laughs> well, I mean, there's, there's not a lot you can do. Oh, which is the problem? <laughs> they they just take it right out of your bank account. You can't find it, and uh, if you're going to sue them, you got to. It's in our contract. You got to go through adjudication, which costs a fortune anyway. So it's like they they've got us to where we have no actual recourse. So what are we supposed to do, Jeremy? Maybe you could post a tweet and say something about burning them down to the ground and see what happens. Yeah, I can get my my other accounts banned. Yeah, let's do that. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, they're, they're letting human traffickers back on Twitter, but not Jeremy, who went after CVS. <laughs> Are they letting human traffickers back on there? Wow, I missed that. Yeah, it's just like, yeah, let's let all these people on, but 
Not Jeremy, who said CVS, he can't wait to see their corporation burn to the ground. Oh, no, that's inciting violence. Nope, he's trying to fix health care. Yeah. Man, this guy. <laughs> trying to fix health care here. I know, let's let the human traffic. Burn it all to the ground, start again. <laughs> that Andrew Tate guy, I like what he's saying. That Jeremy guy, though, no. <laughs> has uh has elon musk like interfered yet and allowed you to get your account back or no he said he was going to reinstate everyone i was just like all right this is probably really bad for the entire world but i'm going to take this win <laughs> and, then, <laughs> and then he just didn't it's just like fucking elon i bought a tesla elon listen con considering <laughs> we're all about a half a drink in i don't know that this that this is going to help your chances of getting reinstated jeremy just, just based <laughs> on <this. laughs> That's that's a fair point. <laughs> Bring back Hokey Farm, damn it. <laughs> yeah, well, maybe Elon will hear your cry and he'll intervene. Although, you know, it's a sad state of affairs when you're lower than the human traffickers. Yeah, I know. It really made me have to reevaluate my life. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. Well, Greg, what's going on over where you are? You're in Alabama, but you represent Georgia. You've got your bottle of Everclear that you're not drinking. He's not drinking it, people. I'm not drinking it. Not yet, anyway. <laughs> Do it, Greg. Snort But that. your boss did give it to you, so you may want to pretend. Yeah, that's... <laughs> hey, listen, I, I wrote the employee manual or helped, and, and I'm, I'm pushing the envelope here with like two, two <laughs> bottles of alcohol on a, you know, during company hours, but we'll see. <laughs> If that's not a campaign for we need help and protections against some of these policies, like I don't, I don't know what is. Help me! I've got moonshine and a cocktail on my desk, but I have to because of PBM policies. Are they hitting infusion badly right now? Not as bad as they're screwing up community pharmacies. That's for that's for sure. They've already they squeezed us are, dry. Right? I figured like, they'd be coming for you all a little bit. Yeah, well, I'm I'm shocked. So I was a state staffer in 2015, and like I'm shocked that community pharmacies are still able to stay in business and operate. It's it is beyond ludicrous. And for whatever reason, other you know other aspects of healthcare have been a little bit more insulated from certain PBM policies than. Than pharmacies have, um, including we're infusion direct competition. Why? Why would they give us any kind of break? We're direct competition, so we're getting squeezed the hardest. But uh, they've squeezed too hard at this point. I mean, there's going to be quite a few pharmacies that can't survive the cash flow crunch in the next two years. It's going to be too much. Yep. But Brian, what about patient steering with infusions? Don't yeah, you guys right. have major problems with that? Yeah, definitely. Um, there's some. Yes, there were some. Some PBM policies through insurance companies where they just wouldn't pay for provider administered drugs, biologics in particular, um, in hospital care settings, UHC, which makes sense. We support site of care optimization, but in communities where that's the only access point, the patients need to get access to drug. Otherwise, they're going to at least double the annual economic per capita burden of that disease. So... I totally lost my train of thought. <laughs> it's the smoke in that industry, Brian. Brian, you're talking to us all the time. Liked PBM I, I must have over smoked this old fashioned. Um, <laughs> what are you smoking it with, Brian? 
<laughs> I just I just totally went blank. Shannon, what what was the what was the cue that you provided me there? Steering. Oh uh, no, steering. steering. Thank I, you. Yeah. And I oh. apologize for the dog. She hates PBMs really bad. You said them. She barked. I'm sorry. Good dog. Yes. I mean that's PBM policies. They're literally clawing back my brain. Um <laughs> So yeah, side of side of care, absolutely side of care steering. Um, so that was historically several years ago. We kind of pushed back and got some exceptions from that. Um, what we're seeing now, which is particularly problematic, is steering drug through specialty pharmacies. So requiring um, infusion centers to acquire drug through specialty pharmacy, which means they lose their drug payment. So they're I got to get in the weeds here. Otherwise, it's going to make no sense. So apologies. Infusion centers have two different payments that comprise their total reimbursement. And they generally bill under what's called the buy and bill model, where they purchase drug, they maintain inventory, they own that drug. Prescription order comes in, they deliver that drug, they turn around and bill the insurance company, right? They buy the drug, deliver it, and then bill, hence buy and bill. So there is a payment for the drug plus a percent add-on help to cover, you know, differences in costs, you know, differences between acquisition costs and reimbursement, et cetera. Um, and then there is a actual professional service. Plan. So you don't lose that, money on your inventory. It's an actual percentage add-on. Yes. So, so you don't lose money on your inventory, like a normal business. Oh, well, that's assuming that they actually pay the, the rates in the contract. So, oh, I see. Okay. This is sounding more familiar now. Yeah. Oh, this, this is still just, this is a different verse in the song of we re, we rewrite terms of the contract midterm without the other party of the contract agreeing. Um, yeah. Similar, similar shenanigans, just, just a little bit different. So they are. So there's two payments, right? So there's payment for the drug, right? You take, you took the risk to own the drug. Great. And we'll, we'll give you a margin to help you cover any differences between acquisition costs and reimbursement, uh, which doesn't happen. And then there's a payment for the professional service to deliver that drug. Oh so the, the issue here is providers are losing approximately $1,200 per three hour infusion service even at the, the highest possible reimbursement on that professional Gosh. service payment. Yeah, Jeez. which is why that percent add-on on the drug payment is the secret sauce to making this equation work. So um, it's that margin that offsets losses on the professional service side across their entire drug portfolio. So they're losing money on a lot of their drugs, even their drug payments. But it's the net across the entire portfolio that gets them above water with a reasonable margin to then fuel growth on. So you're so, all, what you're paying for, for your professional service, your cost to operate is a, of course, a lot more than what it would be for like a normal pharmacy. They've of course eliminated our cost of dispense completely. Like we might get 10 oh. cents or something. And so they're underpaying you all also on that one. And so you're trying to have to make it up on the other end. Is what you're telling me. Oh yeah, absolutely. It's like like ridiculous. Like the total, the average total practice expense to furnish one infusion service hour pre-pandemic was four hundred and thirty dollars an hour. Post-pandemic is five hundred and twenty plus dollars an hour. 
the highest possible reimbursement. So again, that's over $500 an hour. So for a three hour service, taking economies of scale out of the equation, rough operating costs of $1,500 for that service. The issue is that at the highest level possible reimbursement, CMS is paying $208. (laughs) In which if you talk to representatives on the AMA RUC committee, which determines the valuation of these codes, they would say infusion providers are grossly overcompensated. Based on 17-year-old survey data that surveyed practice models that don't infuse drug. Yep. So I can tell you- That's how they do it. Last summer's infusion market is night and day different than today's infusion market. So the market 17 years ago bears absolutely no resemblance to what it costs today. I don't know if you guys are familiar with this concept of inflation. Yeah, exactly. Right? It gets more and more expensive just to live every day, especially to run a business. Um, those reimbursement rates haven't increased in 17 years since this reimbursement methodology was implemented. So we're like, talk about reimbursement volatility, right? We've got the most cost-effective care setting that is trying to unlock the value and cost savings potential of these medications by driving a paradigm shift in how we approach disease management, right? And so they're pivoting patients from managing symptoms of disease flare, unmanaged, like autoimmune disease, for example, where the body is attacking itself, doing irreparable damage, et cetera forcing these patients into the emergency department to get stabilized. It's often a medical emergency requiring hospitalization. And then they're repeating all of this healthcare that they've consumed throughout the year at a hospital fee structure, ED or inpatient. So infusion centers are able to to pivot these patients, the highest burden patients that cost the most to manage throughout the year to to a wellness management paradigm with virtually no reliance on other healthcare. The problem is making that economically viable. And so this whole shift, um, this PBM forcing drug to be acquired through especially pharmacy conveniently enough that they own, um, removes that drug payment. And so we are forcing every provider to be at a minimum $1,200 underwater on every drug. I, I haven't been able to discover an industry in the world where a business can sustainably operate on minus $1,200 margins. Nope. Again, unless that government is issuing a money printing machine and you are an extension of the treasury, it's just, it just doesn't work. Those numbers don't add up. Plain and simple. And that's not accidental. It's not coincidental. It's not convenient. Um, that is by design. And it's also not surprising that we're seeing insurance companies and PBMs who have been vertically integrated now are setting up their own infusion centers. And so they're trying to own the entire care continuum from coverage to actual point of care. They sell as efficiency. Exactly. Efficiency, value, and cost savings. Give me one real world example. Give me one real world example where... Total vertical integration of an entire supply chain, start to finish, was anything but terrible. Except for the one party that was able to create that monopoly. Or in this case, an oligopoly comprised of three bodies that dominate what? 
you guys know better than I do now. 80 plus percent of the market? Yeah. It's 80. Yeah, there was That's a uh, there was an article that Shannon uh, sent over. You guys may have seen it in the Wall Street Journal about the FTCs. Look, our DOJ, I guess, is looking at the possibility of breaking up the ad business around Google. Oh, no, they filed a lawsuit to do exactly that. So we, yes, thank you. So, because I haven't read the article, I only saw the headline. Uh, you know, and, and the question is, well, if they can do that to Google, you know, why can't they do that in a, you know, a clear sector, a sector that, you know, clearly has this problem? Because Brian, everything you've just described, every single person, you know, here at our, at our happy hour is, has experienced that, that, you know, the, the losses, the lack of professional respect, the, the diminishing of therapeutic credibility between patients and their, you know, providers. It's just, you would think like, we, we can't go, we cannot go further down this spiral. And yet magically we are, and you just went through a beautiful description of how it's happening in your industry. Yeah. I mean, if you have the resources and the influence, you keep yeah. the game structured to, to benefit you. Yeah. I come from a family of pharmacists. We've got to the point where we're just telling our family members not to go into pharmacy. Like, which is terrible. Care. It's exactly yeah. the same with, with physicians, right? You've got physicians yeah. telling other, other people, like I would, if I did it again, I wouldn't go into it, which, which, I mean, I don't think there could be a stronger signal for, we have a systemic problem that we have to solve. Otherwise, literally there will be no healthcare. Yeah. So here's my question. We've subjected pharma to all sorts of crazy restrictions, regulation, reporting requirements, transparency, and all of that, because they stand to gain crazy dollars on people's health and well-being and just desire to live whatever life we can. Insurance companies have no fiduciary responsibility to their beneficiaries. How, how is that? I, I pay a company hundreds of dollars a month to manage my risk, yet they have no fiduciary responsibility to actually provide the care that I've contracted to receive, but instead have legislative and regulatory flexibility to rewrite the rules of that game mid-game to suit them and avoid actually covering that contracted care or providing the contracted coverage for the care that I need. How, how is that? Because you're not the actual customer. It's the employer. That is their argument to get around so much stuff. It's because the employer is the actual consumer. Well, but what if I bought an individual plan directly from the insurer? Yeah. Or a family plan. And I'm not going through my insurer. Or I buy it through a marketplace. Yeah, I completely agree. Stat statutorily, in written, law. As if it's employer-based. Yeah, insurers it. have been able to carve out fiduciary responsibility um, because it benefits them. And it's it, they've somehow framed it as a way you know, to generate value and cost savings or whatever talking points they insert here to to be able to get the the power influence and flexibility they they get but it's easy to I show just, cost savings whenever you're making up the numbers yeah i mean it's, what what would happen yeah. if consumers across the country came together and said you know what fuck this like yeah no i, I mean they've tried there's just so yeah, well of course they've tried well, they won't let it happen well why why hasn't the ama come in and said hey wait a minute time out you're you were overruling you know exactly the why. prescribing authority <laughs> of course we do 
Okay. We don't want to go down that rabbit hole, but hashtag medical industrial complex. Yep. <laughs> so Greg, I kind of going off what Brian just said though, Greg, you, when you were uh, doing all that amazing work with the Georgia Pharmacists Association, didn't you guys tackle like fiduciary duty and some things like that? I, I or maybe I have a vague memory of that. But... Yeah, we, we, obviously we passed a lot of, you know, a lot of bills dealing with PBMs and, and fiduciary duties in one of those bills. It didn't make it to the final cut, but, but certainly it was something we looked to do. Um, and in addition, obviously we were really aggressive trying to stop vertical integration. We had filed, you know, in, uh, you know, on one of the bigger mergers, we had, we had filed an opposition and were able to get some key concessions uh, for one of those big me mega mergers. And so obviously it's something that, that we've been fighting a long time, but look, you know, the, the, and here's the, you know, the reality and listen, insurers were, were never loved, right. And they always kind of printed money, but PBMs took the game to a whole new level. Uh, yes. Right. And, and, you know, they were the ones who really were able to monetize vertical integration first, right. And design. Because they are the only ones in the supply chain that are saving money and lowering costs. Yeah, <laughs> but so well, literally in the corner of the patients, <laughs> they are now starting to run the same game in other fields, right? So in certain ways, pharmacy was the canary in the coal mine. Fast forward after they're just printing money and profits, you know, far surpassing the insurance companies. The insurance companies either bought the large PBMs or the you know or the large PBMs bought the insurance companies, right? But but so a lot of those practices we're starting to see go out into you know, into some of these other healthcare settings. And, and look, the sad reality is the largest employer of physicians today is an insurance company, right? The largest employer of physicians in the nation is an insurance company with a lot of the other insurance companies and PBMs trying to follow suit really, really quickly, right? And, you know, to me, you know, think about this, right? Like the physician and the pharmacist have always been the patient advocate, you know, when there's a prior authorization, when there's a step therapy, and those pharmacists and those physicians were the ones saying, hey, you know, this patient needs this drug, right? It may not be on the formulary, but this patient needs this drug. And when we live in a world now where the insurance company owns the pharmacy, stifling pharm pharmacy cho patient's choice of pharmacy, and then the insurance company owns the physician, good God, who, who, who's left for the patient to advocate, right? I mean, it's a, it's a scary proposition because at least now, it, you know, like patients know that, hey, my physician thinks I need this drug, but my insurance company isn't covering it. They're helping me fight for it. But as you have these insurance companies owning the physician and they're the same companies or affiliated companies that are setting the restrictive formulary and, oh, they're steering to their pharmacy, patients aren't even going to, they're not going to know what, what drugs they really should be getting prescribed. They're not going to know what procedures they really need, right? I mean, it's, it's really the implications here obviously are devastating for community pharmacy, devastating it for It goes providers. beyond that. But at this but, point, it's like on top of that, you've got the entire issue that we're the only ones that call out a lot of the BS in the system. Right. If they own most of the physicians and they own most of us or put most of us out of business, there's not going to be anyone to call that out. And you're That's seeing it. all of these lawsuits of fraud constantly every single year. And they still keep them in these networks. And we're going to eventually evolve to where we're at the point where we have Okay, we have universal health care. They're all positioning themselves to be like, well, it's universal, but we use a private company to do it. They're all positioning themselves to be that company, and they're going to defraud the government left and right, and they're going to be too powerful to do anything about it.
there's also that on top of it. But go ahead, Greg. I just had to throw that in there. There's just no, no. I mean, I, I, I think that I think it brings it home, right? I mean, it's you know the implications are for for patients. You know, it's hard to quantify, right? It's 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 scary stuff. And then on top of that, the, you know, these companies literally, and I mean literally, have have more cash on hand than nations do, right? It's it, you know, yeah. so it's 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 amazing. Yeah, imagine if CVS, if Ukraine had the money that CVS had, right? It would probably be like an altogether. Well, it would have invaded Russia. Be <laughs> <laughs> exactly. gone by now. <laughs> Well, Greg, to your point too, the PBMs have caught a lot of flack for being the barrier between the patient and their medication because of the step therapies, the PAs, yeah. things like that. So once a patient goes through the process of actually getting a PA or getting through the step therapy, they're accepting the claim, but it's 100% copay. So the insurance yeah. company can step back and say, woohoo, we paid for it. No, I mean, yeah. good claim, we're good. Don't worry about it. We're not, we're yeah. not a barrier anymore. So they always find their little bullshit away around things. Yep. And it's ticking me off. Well, look, at a certain point, and obviously this isn't, you know, we're not, we're not going to cure all the world's ills here, but from a, a PBM perspective. Oh, I can. I and, can right now. And, well, at the it's end really not day, hard. They, <laughs> they can't be trusted to set drug prices and they can't be trusted to create networks, right? Because anytime they're doing either of those two things, patients lose. If it's a government plan, taxpayers lose. Hmm? providers lose right the only one that wins is the pbm agreed exactly can i share a can i share a story please <laughs> please do it's either fun or just debilitatingly depressing depending on how you look at oh, it so god well, we're you've already got me excited <laughs> i went to a conference hosted by one of the trade associations for insurance plans Blah! And so I'm I'm walking around. I've been trying to find the picture because you guys won't believe me without the picture, but I have a picture. <laughs> so I'm I'm wandering the exhibit hall, which is outrageous, by the way. Puts like pharma, like the bio convention exhibit hall, like to shame. Did they have John Legend performing for their they didn't, but they, they were giving Legend. away seventy-five thousand dollar AMGs. Wow. <laughs> yeah, Literally. There's no problem with healthcare in this country. <laughs> there was a no name PBM that had so little market share. And they were raffling off a Mercedes AMG for one of their clients. Wow. And so naturally, I roll up there. And this, I mean, this is a couple years after I'd came on board with Nika and established a brick and mortar. So, I mean, company cars, like we could use company cars. So I went up and said, Hey, this is, this is great. I run a nonprofit and man, we could turn some heads with the company car. Love to love to fill out a ticket. And they said, hashtag, wait, time out, time out. Did you say you're a nonprofit? Cause that's not, that's not going to work. Like this is just for our clients that are giving us millions of dollars a year. So if you're giving us millions of dollars a year, great. Please drop two tickets into our raffle. We would happily offer you the chance to win a $75,000 car. But if you're not, not giving a us dollars a year. <laughs> get your get poor nonprofit butt away from our booth. Keep on walking. But Don't I even look not at it. Keep on fucking walking. donuts to the <laughs> local fucking physician's office. You do too many donut orders. 
I know. (laughs) Seriously, we can't we can't give pens to physicians, but we can give fucking AMGs to insurance companies. Get the fuck out. Double standards much? I mean, like what aspects of healthcare actually make sense now? None of it. It's a broken. Seriously. But there's so much money in it. No one wants to do it. Like no one wants to actually fix it. There's about as much sense as PBMs coming to you and say, you know what, Jeremy, you're right. We give you guys way too many headaches. Why don't you just create your own books? Paint by numbers. You tell us how much money we owe you. (laughs) Oh, God, no. I'd immediately suspect a trap and I'd be like, oh, fuck, you won't. (laughs) I'm calling my lawyer right now. Monique, Brian, Brian triggered a question in my mind or, and I, that I meant to ask earlier, yeah. but is there any, is Puck giving away anything in connection with this first inaugural episode? Any cars <laughs> or what's the, your bag of decorative rocks? Yeah, yes. we, we, we have a rock. We have a rock. There you go. Yeah, I think we're not, it brings up a great point though. Anything, but our wit and charm and our good time here tonight and our happy hour, it's really too bad, you know, like, as you were telling that story, Brian, I, I didn't see it going the direction it went. <laughs> that was truly nobody shocking. does. That was wild. Yeah, the legislator it, straight up told me I was full of shit when I told him that. Oh, I'm until sure I showed did. them the picture. They they drink that fucking Kool Aid. So many of them are just like, it. well, they can't be doing this. There's no way. Yeah, they fucking are. Like, what yeah. do you want from us? Yeah. We've been Here's a picture about this for years. You know, I, I always tell the story that when I first started with Pat and people would, you know, pharmacists would talk about this. I'd be like, are you sure? Because exactly. they're nice people. And then, you know, like you start to you start to see it happening. And it, it, you just think it, you think everything from we're in the 21st century. This can't possibly be happening 2000 years after Jesus. And in the yep. United States, this is like couldn't possibly be happening, and you know, in our country, it's like, well, not only is it happening in our country, we're the only country where it's happening. It's just that's why the FTC investigation is so important. Like, it will lend a lot of credibility to a lot of things because people just write off the shit we say. It's oh, insane. Yeah. And like and the I physicians, think- they didn't listen to us until they started coming for their shit, and now it's just like, oh no, we talked to this. <laughs> <laughs> I, God, I will say, like, I think. Well, I guess I'll give this good RX card out. You, <laughs> good RX. That will be the that'll be the topic of our next PBM on the rocks happy hour. <laughs> <laughs> well, my goodness. So this is quite the robust conversation, Deb. You've been a little quiet. Anything you'd like to add to what we've been talking about tonight? Deb's horrified. <laughs> <laughs> Please don't resign as president, Ed, please. <laughs> Jeremy's not wrong. This is horrifying. Um, <laughs> I, I just think it's sad. I was going back through my emails, and it looks like I've been working on this little project in some kind of semblance for almost 12 years now. Wow. Whether it's reaching out to um, legislators or trying to, to fix this whole thing. And sometimes I feel like we make a few steps forward, but for the most part, they're smarter and richer than we are. And yep. they yank the rug out from underneath us just when we think we're getting somewhere. And I think someday we're going to get a win and it's going to be a huge win. But and at what cost and who's going to be left? Yep. And maybe it's, you know, when the FTC releases their report, um, hopefully. I think the fact that we haven't seen a report yet is um, hopefully a good sign. 
um, our sources are indicating that you know they're they're committed to spending a good bit of time here to do it right. So it, it sounds like they they're chewing through quite a bit of meat. That's because both they political parties need cover because they both want something to be done about it, but they don't want that lobby money to end and they do not want to take the blame from that side of things either. So it's it's going to get Can done. Can you imagine and what politics it will look like if we pulled like all PCMA PAC money out of the equation? <laughs> Collapse like a house. Oh, man. Cars. Yeah. Like, would the world implode? It might. Uh, it implode, but if it got better, huh? Imagine a world <laughs> like that. <laughs> yeah. Imagine imagine patient care centered on patients. Imagine healthcare that's yeah. actually about That's health. the thing. That's what Deb was talking about <laughs> earlier. She's just like, oh, and then they're always two steps ahead of us. Because they're not actually doing anything. <laughs> like they can devote all their time and money to like outmaneuvering us while we're actually taking care of people. Like it, we can't win. We have yeah. to actually have political su support and like bring up enough people on our side and to force the political will at this point because there's no actual political will with the legislators that are taking that money. You have to make it to where it is an existential threat if they don't address this. Yeah. I don't know anybody at the federal level who is actually outwardly pro-insurance because we know that Grassley, uh, Chuck Grassley, yeah, he, what Diana Harshbarger, so she's a representative. Chuck Grassley is a senator. Buddy Carter is a representative. We know they are, you know, openly anti-PBM. Uh, James Lancaster, is that right, in Oklahoma? What's uh, a bro out I of think I've got his name wrong. Uh, I can see him. Wadden. But they, they so some, we've, there's like four, four that I can identify right off the top of my head, having had half of the bourbon drink that I've had, that I know are, you know, outwardly and openly anti-PBM. Do we know of anybody that's like openly pro-insurance? Uh, I do. You do? Thankfully, he is not in office oh, anymore. Great. Um, former chair of, coincidentally and conveniently enough, the House Insurance Commission Committee in Texas. Oh, really? Okay. <laughs> former Chairman Phillips. Yeah. Uh, if you if you were pushing any sort of bill that that the insurance or PBM lobby wasn't in support of. Uh, you you weren't allowed in his office. I'm a mill in my poop. Wow. Like, like, literally, his, his staffers <laughs> had a picture of, of my face and, and everyone else in our coalition. <laughs> he was trying to push a nominal switching bill. And we were, yeah, we couldn't even cross the threshold of his office. So, uh, so to former Chairman Phillips, we disavow any knowledge of any poos that you get from Virginia. Just saying. Wink. <laughs> Wink. Yeah. I think I'm glad you're out of office. Yeah. That sounds like an extreme example. You know, I've, I've been doing this. Oh, yeah. Can't get more extreme. What I would say is there are certainly folks who look, look it, it's much easier to pass something. It's much easier to change than it is to stop a bill and to keep the status quo. Right. And so I think there are legislators out there that are really sympathetic or vulnerable to arguments of change and the sky falling and inflation, it, or you know, premiums going through the roof, and 
costs going up. But I, but by and large, you know, I've talked to a lot of folks in U.S. Congress, talked to a lot of folks in states, and by and large, when you sit down and you walk through what pharmacists are facing, and you walk through how patients are being steered, again, I've seen massive bills pass at the state level 50 to zero in favor, right? And so that's not to say that there aren't folks with questions and some folks who, who buy into you know, increased premiums, et cetera. But I, I, you know, by and large, I think w- when you make the argument in the right way, pharmacy has a winning argument, right? It's, and I believe this, pharmacy is right on these issues. And, and so I think that's great. I'm not as cynical in certain ways. Some days, Monique, we joke around, I feel like I'm like Don Quixote chasing windmills, right? And is anything going to change? But, but that said, I think the big mistake when you look at pharmacy, and we've evolved over, over the course of 10 years. You know, when I first got into this, folks wanted, you know, nothing but an audit bill of rights, right? But, uh, and when you look at the bills that have passed in certain states that are really sweeping and really aggressive, and when you think of the money that they spend, and I've seen 50 lobbyists against one or two on the pharmacy patient side, and yet pharmacies won. And I think it's a testament to the work that pharmacists do, the regard they're held in. But the game continues, right? Like they're, they, they always evolve. They always find loopholes. And so even when pharmacy has won, it hasn't necessarily changed things. And so what I think, you know, I, I, I believe, believe this to my core, but pharmacy needs to fight the right fights and they need to fight yeah. aggressively, right? No more, you know, so often we're going after symptoms, right? Or we're, we're, we're chasing fireflies over here and we're, we're not cutting the legs off, right? And Greg, at the I'm end just saying, of the day, if we're the Don Quixote chasing windmills, full on, we have to get together and we have to have an uh, actual message and we got to actually full on fight. And we can't play their game because they will always win their game. So I, Yeah, I have, so... I've got go one. ahead, Deborah. We've done a really good job of fighting for our patients. And we've always been told, you can't go in there and fight for yourself. You can't go in there and fight for the pharmacy because you're the business owner. They're going to think you're just a rich guy that just wants to, to make money. So we fight for our patients. And that's awesome because many of the victories that we've won have really truly helped our patients to our detriment. So patients' co-payments went down or they leveled out between if you're in a preferred pharmacy, non-preferred pharmacy. A lot of good things happen for patients not necessarily for pharmacy. And I think we have to get to the point where not just fighting for our patients, we're fighting for us so that we can keep our patients. Yes, and absolutely. Second, at that point. I, I think we also have to look at, so if we can get the FTC to unwind the PBMs or break them up, what does healthcare look like then? Because the argument will be, it's so intertwined, we're too big to fail, you can't take us apart. Someone's gonna have to have a vision or a plan to where it's okay to take them apart. It's okay to break them up. Here's the way it's gonna work. And that might be where we can step in and try to start putting that vision out there. Agreed. So I think it's unfortunately not enough to have a winning argument these days. The missing ingredient continues to be sustained engagement from stakeholders. Well, and money, obviously. Money makes everything happen. But if we can get stakeholders, whether they're pharmacists or patients or doctors, to engage and stay engaged to the finish line, we can pull that ball over the finish line. But that's always been the problem is you all have to run businesses. You all have staff to take care of. You got people to take care of. You, you can't just step away from your business 
you know, 20 hours a week to, to fight these fights, which is why advocacy groups were created to fight your fights. So it's, that's where we're at. Once we figure out how to solve that problem, like we can, we can fix healthcare. We just haven't figured out how to mobilize all of you and your patients in a sustained fashion to drive and maintain that collaborative momentum um, while you can still do the rest of your day-to-day life. I think they're actually, we're getting to the point where you're seeing so much patient advocacy out there. Uh, I mean, look at how many patients have been getting on and just like complaining about their denied coverage and getting it approved right after it goes viral. Like it's now becoming an entire thing where, oh, uh, insurance was denying this claim or the PBM was denying this or that until we went to social media and brought a bunch of attention to it. This is something that we actually need to use in our favor and being like, okay, well, how come they got to skip that process? Is it because it was bad on the insurance company? There needs to be actual, actual like standardized ways of going through this. Actually, no, blow that fucking up and let us actually take care of our patients. We spend more money in this country in the name of fraud, waste, and abuse than we would just letting people just do anything they wanted. It's insane. We also spend more per capita on healthcare than any other developed country, yet we're nowhere near the topping, any meaningful indicator of health. How does that make sense? Our life expectancy is going down while we're paying a fortune for healthcare. How does that make sense? America. America. (laughs) (laughs) So, um... As we're coming to, well, the end of the drinks, uh, I know we've had, we've gone in 14 different circles of PBMs and quite honestly, there's not an area that there isn't a problem. Any parting thoughts, Brian? Yes. So reminded me of a question that I always ask in our focus groups and ad boards and stuff. If you had a magic wand and you could fix any aspect of healthcare, what would it be? So let's spin that and say, if you could expelliarmus your little magic wand and fix one aspect of PBM's influence in the supply chain, what I would fix is to, well, I mean, it's kind of a cheating answer, I guess. Completely remove them from, from the patient-clinician relationship. Remove them as middlemen. Actually, you know what? Scratch that. I would I would remove rebates. That's what I would do. Yeah. Rebates. There you go. Disappear. That's the route. Personally, I'm a fan of preference listing. Expelliarmus. Actually, my Harry Potter. Totalis. That way they get, you know, turned to stone. They're totally frozen. They can't go in. They can't go forward. They can't go backward. We just stuff them in a closet and leave them there. Well, Deb, what about you? I think if we returned them to the transactional companies that they used to be and eliminate all the funky fees and things that they do, that that would be a step in the right direction. And I love the idea of trying to get people active and advocating and sustain that. So that's going to be kind of my focus this year, especially Minnesota is not only engage my Mindy's, but also get my friends of Mindy's rolling, which is all of the customers of the Minnesota independent pharmacies to fight with us. That's amazing. That's amazing. And you've done so much in Minnesota with the Mindy's. This woman, for those of you who do not know, this woman 
is an independent pharmacy owner. She and her husband own two pharmacies. And she, from the ground up of non-existence, completely organized an independent pharmacy association in Minnesota through nothing but just a Google group. And now it's like taking on the industry. It's fantastic. It is amazing. She's done great work. Passion and grit. I love what they're doing and I'm going to keep pushing them. Well, Greg, what about you? Yeah, you know, I think we're all pretty much on the same page here and I'm going to be redundant, right? But again, I think PBMs can't be setting drug prices, period. They can't be creating networks. And, and, and then to, to Brian's point, I, th- I think that's also spot on, right? They, they shouldn't be setting formularies, right? You, and, and when you take those tools away from them, if, hey, if they're still there and they're administering claims as a third-party administrator, so be it. But we've seen enough to know that when they set drug prices, when they create networks, and when they take rebates, nobody wins but them. And, and so I think, I think that's it. But, and, you know, the other thing I would say is, again, we've seen massive bills pass at state levels, which is fantastic. But I think this, this is the time not to take the foot off the gas, right? But this is the time to apply pressure, pressure, pressure. You've, for the first time ever, right, you've got an FTC that recognizes that this vertical integration has had anti-competitive effects. You have a Congress that has weighed in and said, hey, we want to tackle drug pricing. And a lot of those members recognizing for the first time that PBMs are a central part of that problem. And, and there's momentum to build on in the states, right? Pharmacy has gone all the way up to the U.S. Supreme Court and beaten PBMs. They've beaten 50 lobbyists in state after state after state. And so I, 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 think, it's, I, I think it's the time to, for them, you know, make some new alliances, find work with other providers, work with patient groups, and just turn up the heat, turn up the pressure, and start advocating for the solutions that we're talking about here today, right? No more small ball. Let's, let's fight the fights that fix it. On top of that, I would actually say, um, don't give them any quarter. Like, yeah. we should not take our foot off the gas. These, even in an adjudication role, I don't want them to do that. Do you trust them to do that after everything? They really shouldn't exist. All the companies that are doing this right now, they should not be around. That's as far as we can go, like complete elimination. If we do anything and we have someone take on that role, it should be completely different companies because these are gone. These are just too far gone. I'm sensing a new hashtag, hashtag no quarter. <laughs> I like that. I love that. <laughs> it's yep. better than the hashtag yeah. guillotines I was trying to get going. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Jeremy, uses Jeremy that may words. result in the same thing that got you banned from Twitter with the wishing it, that CBS again? corporate would burn down. Right, like what does what does Jeremy mean when he says complete elimination? I would take that one <laughs> way if Brian was saying it, but somehow when Jeremy says it, I'm like, I don't know. <laughs> Why is he holding a guillotine Boink. while he says it? Boink. Hashtag guillotine. Boink. No, I'm sure they're decent people. That's why they went to go work for PBMs. <laughs> Well, and Jeremy, you know, you're going to bring us full circle, man. I am almost, I'm almost scared to ask what, what are your thoughts? You know, my thoughts, PBMs, I will not stop until every single company that does this right now does not exist. And that's what, that's what PUD is for. 
Like it's for truth and transparency. Truth and transparency will not actually exist until the PBM are gone. They're integrated. They're in with the healthcare companies up to insurance level, all the way down to provider level. They got to go. In the end, we will never actually have healthcare in this country as long as it is owned by these companies. And I won't stop and I will continue to scream and it's going to go on probably longer than I'm alive, which is insane because I'm immortal, thanks to denial. But <laughs> I will continue to do this my entire life. And that's the real answer is we cannot have corporate owned healthcare. Not at this level, not in this way. Bad things happen when you monetize health. Yes. Agreed. And for everybody out there listening, cheers to you. Until next time, this is PBM on the rocks. To learn more about Pharmacists United for Truth and Transparency and how you can help fight PBM abuse of our healthcare system, visit our website at truthrx.org.